Happy Halloween, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this spooky edition of the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. As always, your host, I'm Noah Baker, and I'm joined by the lovely and ghoulish Dominic Lee. Dominic, how are you? Hey, Noah, man. I'm doing really good. Uh, Dominic, we, we, we can't hear you. You might want to take the mask off. Um. Anyway, hey Noah, I'm doing really good. Spooky season is in full effect. It's basically Halloween when you guys are hearing this, so it's good enough, right? But uh, yeah, we got a lot to discuss today, Noah. All ghoulish, spooky things aside, we've got PFL, we've got Contender Series, we've got UFC 267, the return to Fight Island. The energy is at another level today, my friend. The one question I got for you before we get started, Dominic. Okay. Do you consider yourself an island boy? I'm an island. Nah. <clears throat> I was going to start singing. I'm like, let's, let's grace our listeners' ears and be nice. But uh, am I an island boy? Yeah, I'd like to say so. What about you? Oh, for sure. Let's catch a wave. Catch a wave to Abu Dhabi, <laughs> baby. <laughs> UFC 267. But first, there's... Those stinky, stinky fight announcements. Ah, stinky, stinky. <laughs> Only a couple today, and they start on a negative note. I hate when this happens. Yeah, this is a tough one. The rematch that we we wanted to happen, that we needed to see, get some clarity on. Kevin Holland is unfortunately out of his scheduled bout with Kyle Dawkins set for November 13th. Uh, Holland getting some sort of injury and in training. Uh, this is coming off the heels of their first encounter about a month ago when uh, there was an accidental clash of heads that essentially knocked out Kevin Holland cold. Um, but then uh, Big Dan let the fight uh, prolong a little bit. Dawkins does get a submission win, but on, upon review, Dan realizes that the, he was pretty much out cold. So no contest, essentially. Right. They were trying to run it back. Um, Dawkins, I don't know if you saw Dominic, he did uh, post a tweet essentially wishing Kevin a speedy recovery, said, I will see you in February, mm. but I have some unfinished business to take care of. Mm. So it sounds like he's trying to stay on this November 13th card, which I, for one, have no problem with. Um, I don't have any opponent in mind either, but uh, unfortunate. But I, I do like the idea of him staying on that uh, Holloway Rodriguez card. We could use some more names on there. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And this is a great fight when it inevitably, inevitably gets ran back. Shout out to Kevin Holland. Hope all is well for Dawkins. Still a young, bright prospect. I love watching him fight. Let's keep him on that card. Opponent, I don't even care. I just want to see him stay on there and get a fight. We're going to transition into the featherweight division. Before Tuesday, I could have said two top 15 featherweights, but uh, instead... One looks to earn his way back in as number 13, Movzar Evloev, looks to hold his spot against Ilya Tuporia. Tuporia, excuse me, I believe it's Tuporia. Um, Tuporia being the number 15 ranked featherweight before Tuesday, they decided to replace him with Bruce Leroy himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, we love us some Bruce Leroy, so I'll, I'll let it slide. Right. I was a little angry at first because Tuporia, I think, just has a little bit higher of a ceiling, a little bit more potential. But my man Bruce Leroy, he's on a nice win streak, so we'll let it slide. But this is a great fight. And ultimately, if Tuporia is worthy of being in the top 15, then this is a fight for him to really show that. Not that Evloev is uh, some sort of cakewalk, not at all. These are two guys that I think can and will be 
contenders in this featherweight division very soon. So we're kind of getting a taste of the future of the division before they even get there. I just think that as long as Tuporia can put up a good fight here, it should, should be enough to show, hey, he's top 15 right now, even if they don't give him the number. That guy's going to be top 10, top 5 before we know it. Yeah, for sure. This is a fantastic fight. You and I were all over this when it got announced on Twitter. Uh, and I got to say, Noah, we haven't had one of these in a while, or if we have, we just haven't acknowledged it. But in this one, someone's O has got to go. <laughs> yes. Two undefeated, young, talented prospects, as Noah said, future contenders, potential title holders. A lot on the line in this one for the Young Bloods. That's a fantastic addition to that UFC 270 card that is very much stacking up. Yeah, that's right. UFC 270. I didn't even mention that. It's January 22nd, so mm-hmm. it's going to be a great way to break in the new year, 2022. Looking fantastic. Whew. Let's move on to Dana White's Contender Series Week 9. Oh. Only one more week for the season, Dominic. I know. It's coming know. to a close. We had six fights this time, so we got one for free, <laughs> um, which is always nice. It's always nice to get a little extra. Of course. Um I guess just off the top, you know, based on the six fights that you watched, uh, who, as I always ask, is the biggest standout or the biggest what, – what stood out to you most about this week for the Contender Series? Biggest standout for me, uh, Javid Basharat, a fantastic, phenomenal performance, 11-0, and 11 finishes, hails from Afghanistan. Not too many Afghan fighters in the uh, UFC, if I remember correctly. And now here's another one to add to the roster. Fantastic, well-rounded, great on the feet, very sharp. Not wild, but very precise and technical. And on the ground, fantastic grappling, uh, submissions, transitioning. Everything was flawless in this performance. And to go in with an undefeated record in the UFC says a lot. This was an amazing performance from start to finish. Um, and yeah, Basharat for sure, biggest standout for me uh, on week number nine. Yeah, he's got to be the biggest standout. Um, there was a lot of eyes on this fight going in due to the bad blood from the, the weigh-in and the fallout from that. Um, and Basharat really showed that he he's ready. I mean, this is, oh, this is yeah. no doubt about it. And he put a hurting on Kalon for three rounds. Um, you even set off recording. You thought he probably could have stopped that fight multiple times prior, but yeah, you know, due to the bad blood, he wanted to extend that punishment oh, a little yeah, bit longer. Um, sickest move of the whole season, wrapping up that choke. He looks straight at his corner and gives a little Ooh, nod. Chills. That's pretty. That's pretty that's fucking, cold. <laughs> that's that's Allen Iverson stepping over Tyron <laughs> <Yeah>. Lou <laughs> levels, yeah. um, but. To give someone else some shine here, actually the fight between uh, Christian Quinones and Long Zhao, yeah, uh, this went to a unanimous decision. It was uh, went to a decision. It was a unanimous decision win for Quinones, and this was a fantastic fight, a bit of a slugfest. But Quinones clearly won and really showed some nice striking. Showed mm-hmm. really that he's just again another guy that belongs in the UFC and. Um, Interesting that this is the second card that stuck out to me, Dominic, uh, for 2021, where Dana has put, um, like, I think UFC 261, I think, did it. And then this one where there was three different uh, products from China as far as, like, the UFC's, uh, I guess, developmental program they have going with China, that the PI out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But both cards, these fighters not getting any wins. So, uh 
not that's not really a, I don't think that's really a testament to anything about them. It's just it's interesting that we're see, we are seeing some pretty big pushes for that market. I like it. I like where the head's at, and I I was really uh, I really thought there might have been something with the uh, Jan the the woman's flyweight. Yeah, um, her Power record. House. If you look at it, like okay, I don't even know if the UFC recognized all her wins, but on Tapology, she was like twenty five and three. Mm-hmm. but like <laughs> i think like six of her la- like her last six wins were against o and o opponents oh, so okay. a little sussy on the record but you know she just looked like she reminded me of jessica andrade just the build and yeah. her style of fight but she does get a she does lose to karina silva via submission that was a sick fight too by the way and i have no complaints with the contracts this week four or five out of six yep but you know this was actually probably not the put a negative spin on this i'm going to bring it back positive out of if i had to measure this up to the rest of the weeks of season five so far probably the weakest in terms of like good fights Mm -hmm. but a lot of standout performances there was a little bit more of a one-sidedness to this card yeah that's a good way to put Um, it again quinones and jow being kind of the one uh i guess back and forth fight maybe silva and yan but the rest of these, it felt like it was pretty one-sided who the winner was, but that's really not a bad thing for Contender Series, man. I mean, as much as I love and prefer watching great fights, back-and-forth fights, when you're looking for the next contenders, the next big prospects, you may not want them to, you know, perhaps have to overcome some adversity against what is otherwise lower-level opponents. Um Maybe it's better if you have cards like this where you see a lot of sh- people that shine with their performances rather than the fight itself. Right. Uh, and although China went 0-3, Mexico stand up. You went 2-0. Quinones <clears throat> and Manuel Torres both have trained with Brandon Moreno, the flyweight champion. Now both launched their way into the UFC with contracts. It again just shows that when the UFC goes to Mexico, to China, to potentially Abu Dhabi, these places where they're investing time and money and efforts to grow the sport, it's paying off. Yeah, and uh, since we are about to wind down season five of the Contender Series, as crazy as that is to say, there was an interesting point brought up in the post-fight press conference by Mr. Dana White himself. Um, he mentioned that, you know, again, this Dana loves the Contender Series, obviously. <laughs> yeah. His name's His in the name. title. Exactly. <laughs> the guy loves it. And uh, he was gushing about it again, and he made this point – before he gave the contracts, and then again at the press conference, he said that right now he believes that the Contender Series is the second best library in combat sports. Uh, first, obviously, being UFC. the UFC. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, what's interesting, Dominic, is that when it comes to kind of evaluating fight libraries, really, unless it's on Fight Pass, which is owned and operated by the UFC. There's like Bellator, many. Bellator doesn't have like yeah. if you if you're talking about a library where like somewhere you can go on the internet or on an app and watch top to bottom their cards. Right. Bellator doesn't have that. As far as I know, one doesn't have that. Ryzen doesn't have that. So really, it's all that's on the UFC. You got Pride, you got WBC, Strike Force. Those are really the top um, competitors here. But Dominic. Do you agree or disagree that Contender Series has become the second best library in combat sports? 
Dana, I respect it, but man, that was a bold statement he made. Uh, and I don't blame <laughs> him at all. This is his show that he birthed, and it is amazing. They have fantastic fights, especially that all these kids are literally in their young 20s, mid-20s contenders, and they're putting on fantastic fights. But man, the second best library in combat sports over the likes of like a Pride, a Strike Force, a WEC, uh, what was it, Pink Race? Is that how you say it? Yeah. From back in the day, I mean, there's a lot of OG fights that are going to have some wild, wild moments uh, in their library. Again, maybe it comes down to what libraries, quote-unquote, are available to see, as Noah said. But uh, Dana, I love you. I don't know if this is quite number two, but I will say the Contender Series is an incredible library archive of fights nonetheless. Yeah, it's hard for me to, like, (laughs) I've never, before he said this, I never really separated it from the ufc exactly yeah which i mean it really isn't it's ultimately a show that is meant to get prospects for ufc cards yeah but if you do separate it like that i mean it's it is a very strong product i I won't lie and while i don't think in in all honesty it's not it doesn't really stack up to any of those three you know just those three have a lot of history there's a lot of nostalgia yeah sure you watch some of those, especially early on, those Pride WEC Strike Force cards. There's there's some bad fights on there. There's some mismatches. There's some pretty dull fights. But you know, even the UFC's very early catalog has a lot of that as well. Um, but I just think that uh, it'll be hard for Contender Series to really, I think, in the in the view the viewpoint of the public, yeah, be able to pass some of those just because. Those those promotions aren't around. They're from a different time. They were they have a lot of very rabid fan base that are very nostalgic and yes, that was the word. You know, yeah, there's just a very big sense of pride, for lack of a better word, in <laughs> right. those promotions. So I like it though. I like where his head's at. Yeah, of course. Now we're gonna move in to the PFL championships, Dominic. Oh my happening Wednesday, essentially all fucking day (laughs) that's true (laughs) um you know what maybe i'm gonna say this now before before we talk about the action of the fight because i don't want this to disrupt the flow here but uh wow i understand i've seen some poorly paced ufc cards bellator cards um this one probably takes the cake for the most poorly paced (laughs) MMA card I've ever seen. Yeah. It's not the first time I've noticed that with PFL, but this was mm-hmm. egregious. What time did this card start? It was five. Prelims were at 4 30 or 5 o'clock. 4 30. Yeah. And Something I like remember that. and Kayla Harrison's main event ended at about midnight. Yeah. I mean, and it was 10 fights, Dominic. Yeah. And that's six about of them fight. were five round fights. <laughs> that's about a fight an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and plus like was this a six-fight main card, or was it? It, it was. Fights? It was. So four of these fights are on the prelims, and it just became painfully obvious that they were just, you know, these poor, the poor commentary team. I mean, you got Randy Couture, Ken Flo, and um, yeah. who's the the main guy in the middle? I forget his name now. But those poor three, <laughs> they were struggling, man. They, oh yeah, <laughs> they were stopping, and then you could tell that they're just like, you guys got to keep talking, and. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. Well, I mean, that's the, been like one of the biggest complaints of PFL this year. They put on great fights and the season's awesome, the format, but the pacing at which they do their broadcast, they're not ideal. 
<laughs> and uh, we'll get into that a little bit more later because this is going uh, yeah, to it'll relate to a later question. But let's start with Kayla Harrison. She was the main event. She was the biggest draw of the card. Uh, she was in the finals for her second straight lightweight women's lightweight title. She was going up against Taylor Guardado. 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 Yeah, yes, I can talk. I can speak English. Um, this was a new opponent for her, but ultimately she goes down just like the rest of them. Submission win via armbar, round two, four minutes on the dot. I will say for Taylor, in her credit, she did have some nice defense. You know, yeah. she she wasn't really ever able to get any offense off. But again, this is Kayla Harrison. Nobody really expected much. <laughs> yeah. I do think she held on longer than a lot have. She showed basically what it, what it all boiled down to was every time Kayla would set up either a submission or she would try to advance position on the ground, Guardado always seemed smart enough to um, stop it. But then right. Kayla being just levels above always had a follow-up. You know, so Guardado just was completely outmatched here is really what it comes down to. But I'll at least give her credit for her defense here because it held up for a while. Even with the arm bar, she at least was trying. I mean, she was trying, yeah. man. But all in all, Kayla Harrison does get a very dominant win. And Dominic, we really don't even have to focus more on the, the fight itself because I think it's pretty clear how this fight went. Yeah. I think the question on everybody's mind is what's next for Kayla Harrison? Her contract with the PFL is officially over yeah i mean we're talking the most lucrative free agent in mixed martial arts as of today noah this is very intriguing very interesting i mean it seems there's three obvious choices and then you know maybe a little aew wrestling action as a you know maybe a default back there but um you know is she, is she gonna stay with the pfl is she gonna continue to do another season is she gonna chase another million uh bellator is a very nice option in my opinion i think a fight with her and chris cyborg they've kind of had their run-ins with trash talk and, and that's an amazing fight it's a rightful step up for kayla in terms of her pfl competition to cyborg gives her a chance to uh get a women's mixed martial arts uh legend on her resume uh get her name out there in bellator they have a very full or not yeah i'll say full a healthy women's featherweight division in bellator which is nice compared to option number three being the ufc and obviously you know a problem there is that Amanda Nunes being the Bantamweight and Featherweight champion in the UFC, that's also Kayla Harrison's very good friend, training partner. I mean, they used each other for Kayla's fight, and Kayla's helping Amanda get ready for Juliana Pena in December. So I don't know how realistic that fight really is, at least right now in this very near future. Um, so, you know, when I put out those three options, I don't hate the idea of her going to Bellator at all, my friend. I think the UFC is the least likely destination for Kayla Harrison. Mm -hmm. And it really, there's a mixture of reasons. The big one, and for me personally, you know, as for my viewpoint as a fan, is that outside of the Amanda Nunes fight, which I do think is a realistic fight, I know that they are training partners, they're teammates, but I think if it came down to it, those two would still fight. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great fight on paper, but if Kayla wins or loses, you know, if she wins, you do her and Nunez a second time, I guess. And then what is there for her after that? Right. You got Norma Dumont. You got Aspen Ladd hanging around. I don't know. Are any of those fights really going to get you to pay 
70 bucks on pay-per-view. I'm sure we will, but you know, right. Most wouldn't. So then Bellator, in my opinion, is a great, if she's really looking to, you know, if her motivation is probably more on the competitive side where it's, yes, you know, obviously she should get paid and that should be number one, get, make that money. I think Bellator might be the best choice here. If, if, if a change of scenery is another thing that she also wants along with getting paid, I mean, Bellator's got a women's featherweight division. It's not necessarily strong, but it's not weak either. It did lose Julia Budd, former champion, that who went to the PFL. That's a tough loss. But um, Chris Cyborg is the champion there, and she is one of the all-time greats for women's MMA. Yep. So you have that fight immediately. But then there are other... There's at least a division there. Exactly. There's not going to be a ton of big fights after that, but again, at least there's names there. Like if Kayla became a big enough star to where she kind of crossed over, you know, Ronda Rousey esque or Conor mm-hmm. McGregor esque, not not necessarily that that extreme, but yeah, if she could at least cross over a little bit, it really doesn't matter who she's fighting. My yeah. problem with the UFC is I just don't think even after the Nunes fight, she could really make that same crossover if there's nobody for her to fight, really. Yeah, yeah. So Bellator is great, in my opinion. That's a great option. And the last one that's kind of been under the radar is just staying with the PFL. For sure. You know, everybody is assuming that she's going to leave, but she just made a million dollars for the second straight season. Yeah. She's not making a million dollars for fighting in Bellator or the UFC. Right. So she does it here. She pretty clearly is dominant enough to where she's going to keep probably winning if she stays. I mean, what? Why? And the PFL, I think, would be very invested in trying to keep her. That's the thing. It's like, and this is going to kind of spill into my next question or a question, I guess, kind of later on, but. You know, PFL's contract with ESPN is up. So they're looking for a new um, broadcasting deal. They're looking for a new place to hold to host their fights. They're going to want to keep someone like Kayla Harrison around, someone yeah. that could really be the, the star that they pitch to, whether it's TNT, who's about to – their deal with one. FC is about to be up. Uh, you know, there's streaming options as well. Maybe they uh, re-up. Um, with ESPN, well, sure, but I, I'm just saying that there there are other options out yeah. there, and um, I do think that her staying with the PFL is not unrealistic. I think it's no. It, I guess do I is that what I want? Me personally, like I, at the end of the day, I just want her to do what she wants to do. If she, you know, if she gets paid the most there, then stick around there. But I, I would be interested in seeing her versus Julia Bud. Yeah. But then again, it's like after that, it's going to be a lot of the same names that she's already kind of beaten up. Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I, my, my head, my head says I want her to go to Bellator, but again, it's, it's, it's her choice and she should do whatever, whichever company offers her the best deal. I just think the UFC is not going to offer her the money she wants and is the least amount of fights that I guess would be of value. So, I feel like the UFC is a super unrealistic option right now, if, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And, and what a, Dana, Dana made a lot of comments as well about, 
uh, Kayla Harrison. So I wanted to get your thoughts on those comments. And do you feel like that's an even bigger sign that maybe the UFC is not as interested in Kayla Harrison as we all think they should be? I mean, you know, he he made great points uh, in that interview uh, when he's like, you know, she's getting paid a million dollars. She's getting, you know, good matchups, obviously. So, you know, if you're her, why wouldn't you stay there and continue building your resume, building your bank account up? Because when you're in the UFC, you know, there's the Amanda. She's, you know, these are the best in the world in the UFC. Typical Dana thing, which, again, the UFC does have the best in the world. I'm not denying that. But, uh, you know, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, this is maybe just some negotiating tactics. I have it in my head. Maybe it's negotiating tactics. But the more and more I look at it, I'm like, Ugh. if it doesn't make sense for the UFC to bring her over long term, especially, maybe they're not really that invested or interested in her. Because at the end of the day, if they lose out on Kayla to another organization, I don't think they're sweating it too much, being that she is a lightweight. She has to come down to featherweight. Featherweight is already a division that is not really a division uh, in the UFC. So they just maybe they're looking at it as like, yeah, she's a big name. It would be a good accusation for us. But long term, does it do much for us? Can we do much for her in return? I just I don't see that great of a relationship between them right now if she were to sign there. And I got to add on before I get your thoughts on Dana. In the post-fight presser with Kayla, she kind of, she still has that confidence in her that everybody, not everybody loves, but I love the way she carries herself. But uh, she did have that switch, right? She just had her niece and nephew adopted. So she is their official parent now. She's got two mouths to feed. And she kind of had a mindset change to where, of course, she wants to be the best in the world. She wants the competition to be as stiff as possible to prove she's the best in the world. But money is priority number one now to provide for herself, her family. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there as well in terms of what's going through her head during this free agency process. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, I think we hit everything there. Move on to the rest of the PFL championships. Yeah, there were five um, other titles, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there, there were five others, but... Before we even get into those, probably the second biggest story here was our feature belt. You're right. Uh, Clarissa Shields got the first professional loss in combat sports for her and her unanimous or split decision uh, loss to Abigail Montez, who moves to 3-0 and yep. in her young MMA career. Now, Dominic, Obviously, um, Clarissa Shields being such a high-profile combat sports athlete due to her, uh, I guess, prestige in women's boxing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she made a big splash coming over to the PFL, had an exciting debut as she had to kind of battle back from some adversity. Here, wasn't quite able to overcome uh, said adversity again. Um, I guess you can give your thoughts on the fight, but what does this loss say about Clarissa Shields' current standing and future in MMA. You know, I kind of hinted at it on, uh, on when was it? I guess it was Monday when we talked about this because um, it's three-episode week. Shameless plug. That, uh, you know, Clarissa Shields is still so young, and I do respect her for making this transition. She's been getting a lot of hate on uh, MMA Twitter this past week, don't, I noticed. Don't, don't really get it. Yeah, it's uh, unwarranted to me. Um, at the end of the day, MMA community should respect her for doing this because we don't see boxers come over and make this. And she's she seems very committed to me, and she seems like uh, she's motivated, dedicated to become good at this. She's only 
26 years old, so the fight specifically didn't go her way. She looked good in the first round. I thought she did very good offensively. Her striking looked good. She had good uh, clinch control up against the cage. But rounds two and three, Abigail Montes implemented her strength, uh, pressed Clarissa up against the fence, took her down, and dominated her on the ground. And we knew that that's still the glaring weakness in Clarissa's game. It got tested uh, in her first fight. And a lot of people are saying, if you're the PFL, what are we doing? Why are we giving her these type of matchups and where I can see a side of it where you want to test her. But at the end of the day, she's been training in MMA for nine months and we're feeding her two wrestlers basically back to back. Why are we not giving her at least someone more in the striking realm to get her more comfortable? I don't know kind of what the process is over there. Are you Uh, advocating for Clarissa Shields to fight cans? No, (laughs) no, but, uh, you know, the matchups are just, again, there's a part of me that respects it because I'm like, hey, let's just test her straight up, I guess. But at the yeah, same time, if I you're wanting to build her as a star for the PFL, especially if you lose Kayla Harrison, do you want her to rack up a couple losses, be one and two, one and three? Uh, I don't know, man. But in terms of her current standing and future in, the, uh, in MMA, I'm okay. She she took a loss, go back to the drawing board, continue training. She's at one of the best camps in the world with Jackson Wink. Uh, I think she still is going to get some fights in with PFL. Uh, I'm not just going to throw in the towel because of this loss here, because she did still have some positive takeaways all in all. Okay, so I, I agree with like the current standing as far as like I'm okay. You know, it's yeah. a loss, but it again, we're not expecting her to be a world beater. Again, tough matchup. I mean, yeah, Abigail Montez, while not offering much in the striking. Uh, she was very strong, very mm-hmm. stout. Um, you know, had really good control, good takedowns. Um, you know, not necessarily, I guess, a high level opponent, but you know, it was tough for Clarissa here. This was not an easy opponent by any means for considering how long she's been training in MMA. Now, I I, I saw the fight a little bit differently. Like rounds two and three were on the same page, but I didn't really see any success for Clarissa. In any round, outside of when they were at range, very few and far between, she was able to land some very nice one-twos. Her hand speed is phenomenal. Yeah, Some of the fastest you'll see in any combat sport. But the problem is that she couldn't keep Montez off of her. Yeah, And and truthfully, this fight itself didn't give me really any positive takeaways. The fight was a kind of a dud. But in terms of Clarissa's ability... Uh, she did look a little lost at times, um, even trying to get underhooks and things like that in the clinch. She would do it, and then she kind of would, wouldn't. And and then when when Montez got that that top mount, that's when it became very glaring yeah. in round three that yeah. Caressa just still has a lot of learning to do. Uh, she just kind of didn't know what to do. Um, just started kind of flailing, throwing strikes that weren't even really landing while she's getting beat up from the top position but yeah again all in all this this loss i think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to hold this loss against her for some reason yeah. you're right she has kind of made herself into some sort of um enemy of the mma community and yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not you know i don't i as much as i love and we we talk about how we love mma twitter I don't really get into it that much. It'd be hard like, out there sometimes. Like there's some people, like I thought I liked MMA Twitter and then I realized I'm not really that in, like I'm not involved in it that much. There's some people that just get really into it and they, 
you know, I don't like, I don't really like it when you when you start going after fighters. Like it just you kind of yeah. lose me. I'm not saying that that's what happened here. I didn't really see where the root of it is. I just noticed that a lot of people didn't seem to like Clarissa Shields anymore. I'm not sure what she's said or done that might have brought that on. But uh, from my perspective, I still have a lot of respect for the what she's doing. And I think a question, though, Dominic, is, you know, after this loss, like, is she really going to see a reason to continue down this road? I, I hope so. I mean, really her even – Coming into the sport, she had to kind of face that head on where it's like, is it really worth it? You know, I'm, right. I'm the best at what I do, and now I'm going to go and become basically start new in another sport. Yeah. Like she already kind of had to face that decision when she started, but you know how fighter egos can be. You Obviously, she had an elite skill in her boxing, and maybe she just assumed she could come over and as long as she could be have some decent takedown defense that she would just piece people up it's not that simple right. i'm not saying that's what she thought i'm just saying that fighter egos can sometimes <laughs> convince them a lot of things For and sure. maybe now with the loss you know that's this is someone who's never lost before like how is she gonna you know respond to that mm-hmm. uh, she seemed fine in the, the 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 fallout of the fight you know in knock in the cage and everything i'll be interested to see though Supposedly, uh, the rumor is that she's going to defend her boxing titles uh, either early next year or late this year. So I'll be interested to see kind of once she goes back to boxing and if she picks up another win, where does that kind of leave her MMA right. future? But for now, I'm okay. I'm, I'm yes. again, just like you said. Um, but for the PFL itself, or I guess the rest of the card here, because we do have five other title fights that deserve some recognition. Again, what stood out most from this card, Dominic? <laughs> the heavyweights, dude. This fight was one of the craziest fights of 2021. I'm going to have to put it on the freaking at the Joey's nominee for fight of the year because this fight was nuts. Bruno Capeloza, uh, Ante Dilia, I say his name wrong on Monday. It's Dilia, not Delije, Dilia, uh, went to war, to say the least. Round one. Bruno essentially knocks out Ante and dominates him. Round two, Bruno was dead ass asleep on the camp. I was watching round two and I'm like, Keith, what are we doing? He's he's out right now. Yeah, they, they call him no stoppage Keith Peterson for a reason. No, no stoppage, no nonsense. <laughs> this guy, I don't know. That was crazy. But then to Bruno's credit, he bounces back, comes back to life. I have it one-to-one. Round three, Bruno comes out, does the same thing he did in round one, and Tay's in big trouble. And then rounds four and five, it definitely simmered down just a little bit. But Dilia, to his credit, won round four, in my opinion. It was back and forth. I had it two-to-two two. going into round five, a lot more grappling, clinch work in those championship rounds. And Bruno able to cap it off in the fifth with a great takedown, more dominance on the ground. Again, fantastic fight. These guys have fought earlier in the season. Bruno made it look easy, got a KO, uh, as he did his entire run this year until the championship fight. So for them to cap it off with going five rounds in an absolute war, what a fight, what a story. I also just have to say, I saw this after the fight, Bruno's father suddenly passed away leading into this bout. His family did not tell him so that he could focus on this fight now he's a PFL champion, a million dollars, and he's going. He went straight back to Brazil 
to be with his family, uh, remember his father. So I just had to point that out as well. Bruno, hope all is well for your family. And what a performance. What a season for Bruno Capeloza. Yeah, this this was the second time these two fought in the season. Uh, like you said, the first encounter, very swift KO for for Capeloza. And I think most thought that maybe Dalia would hold on a little bit longer, maybe you know show a little bit more. It is the championship after all, but that overall Bruno would do what he has done this entire season and get right. probably a first round finish. That was especially what I was thinking, and it looked like we were on our way. Yeah, man, Bruno looked so good in round one, and you're right. The first half of this fight is like <laughs> up there for fight of the year. Yeah, um, and you know the second half is it, it, five round heavyweight fight. What are you going to do? You, Don't get a much the, for a reason. These guys were hurt. They had both been basically knocked out multiple times. and it, yeah. They had been punched back into consciousness. That's a <laughs> concept I can't even begin yeah. to understand. And um, rounds four and five, it was, again, just all heart. It was yes. guys running on fumes, basically nothing left in the gas tank and trying to push through. Um, great fight. Co-main event, though. Man. Ray Cooper to third. Second title with the pfl yep. he avenges the loss from the 2018 mm-hmm. um pfl championship over magomed magomed karimov in round three three minutes two seconds in the setup for this was fantastic i mean uh the the size difference between these two was very interesting they, yeah you got you got cooper who's the shorter more compact, bigger arms, bigger legs, a bit stronger. And Magomed Karimov is the longer, lankier of the two, uh, big, better reach, things like that. For sure. Um, but his problem was uh, Magomed, he, he was due, partially maybe due to the height uh, advantage. It was kind of a disadvantage in that he was keeping his chin a bit high. Yeah. And Ray Cooper eventually just found it flush. Uh, and when uh, he did, ooh. it was all over. It was just done. They knocked him out cold. And um, big shout out to Ray Cooper the third. He comes from um, a good, a good family for fighting, and mm-hmm. um, for him to get his second championship like this, he's another guy that maybe not on the level of Kayla Harrison, but you know he's a guy that the PFL really could build around as well. He's for stayed sure. committed to the PFL. Wouldn't surprise me if he's going to want to continue with them moving forward. And again, with the highlight reel KO to finish off the season, this only helps the PFL as they're looking to find their next outlet for their next season. Right. And, um, you know, there's some other great performances on here. Uh, Harush Manfio, uh, a lot of people didn't see him getting that win over yeah. Loic Radzabov, mm-hmm. but um, he looked fantastic. Antonio Carlos Jr. getting a quick round one submission. Former UFC veteran. Um, Movlid Haibulayev looking so dominant over Chris Wade. Um, All in all, fantastic card. And and I – go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, now that, you know, the 21-2021 season is over, what did you think, Noah, all Mm. in all, seeing the PFL back in action this year? Uh, the the regular season, the playoffs, the championship. Again, the pacing of the fight nights might not be the best, but the overall action, the grand scheme of how their tournament worked, 
are you satisfied and ready for some more in 2022? It was the first season that I have watched of the PFL. I didn't watch the previous two seasons. I didn't watch it when it was the World Series of Fighting, back when guys like Justin Gaethje and Marlon Marais yeah. were running rough shot. Um, I, I really do like the PFL. I, yep. There there are things about it that I prefer. Like, okay, they're very different. Yes, very. Am I a huge proponent of the season format? No. But again, that's one of the things that makes them different and stand mm-hmm. out. Um, I do think that there's some that they they I just like that they're really trying to differentiate themselves, so it's only gonna help them. Um, I would I would at least I would assume when it comes to finding an audience. Um, and I think if you want to kind of, if I'm going to spin it around here and talk about mm-hmm. the future of the PFL and maybe what's next for them as a promotion, again, ESPN deal over, you know, it feels like it might be in their best interest to try to stay on ESPN plus um, they have to have a lot of crossover appeal due to the fact that the UFC is on ESPN plus as well. Yes. Um, however, maybe the UFC, you know, they might not want the PFL to be under that same umbrella. So I would be kind of surprised if we see the PFL back on ESPN, but I do think that's probably what would be best for them beyond that. I think it moved the TNT TNT. Perfect. Cause TNT and one's deal is about to come to an end. You do PFL after AEW. Yes, they're thriving with TNT. Mm -hmm. Perfect, man. And I would actually be tempted to watch both. Again, I've talked about, I haven't watched pro wrestling since like 2009 on a regular basis. Yep. I've been tempted to kind of get into some AEW. I don't know why. Maybe it's the Dan Lambert and (laughs) ATT stuff. But really, in general, they just, it seems like uh, pro wrestling is kind of on the up and up again. You put PFL right behind it or right before it or whatever. Again, that's going to probably help the pacing as well because yeah. you are on a time constraint compared to – I don't know what it was. Again, I know this isn't the first time we've complained about the PFL's pacing, but these championships, there was no reason for this card to go on for six and a half hours, seven yeah. and a half hours, however long, for ten Deep fights. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and I know you said you're like, well, half of them were five round decisions. Well, that's that makes it look even worse. Like, why exactly. is there so much downtime? It's yeah. like, what were you guys? Is this the opposite of UFC 33, where you needed every fight to go to a five round decision in order for you guys to like keep a smooth pace? Because right, I don't know what it was going on here. It was kind of absurd at times, just like how long we were waiting in between fights, but. Again, I like the PFL. Don't love a lot of the stats at the bottom. Why do we need to know the hand speed, the the kick? Like that doesn't that doesn't matter. Also, they're scoring. What's that score in between rounds? The, uh, well, they have the verdict fan boat. They have the they the commentators how they score, and then there's a fighter. Ah, I don't remember. It's, it's like, like FPR some score. Rating. Yeah, like an FPR rating kind of. It's what it is. I think and it's it rates it how successful they were in the round on a scale of yeah. one to a hundred. They need to it's, get rid of that, whatever, or t- retool it because that thing is usually not very correct. Yeah. Um, having the uh, verdict stuff is, um, I can, again, I 
it's fine because it like, gets the fans involved, but I, I don't use verdict. So um, all in all, though, I love the PFL. I love that it's different. Yeah. I would like to see some more cards throughout the year, but again, they might be just committed to that because that's what makes them stand out. You know, very true. All right, so let's move on oh, to UFC two sixty seven. Oh boy, fights for breakfast, as Dominic has been <laughs> saying. Uh, Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning, you can. Watch UFC 267 on ESPN Plus. The entire card is on ESPN Plus, people. Yep. That means as long as you pay your, I think it's six bucks a month now for ESPN Plus, um, you can watch literally a card that's worth 70 bucks. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a pretty big steal in the main event. And we're not even paid to say that. You know, we're just, we're but just, we can shilling. be if anyone's we're just, interested. We're just shilling for the UFC. We're just yeah. putting that UFC cock down our throats right now. As I take a drink of water. <laughs> um, so in main event, aging like fine wines. You got Jan Blahovich, the light heavyweight champion who has had this career renaissance. Uh, a man that was on the brink of being cut at one point has found himself basically reborn oh. after going through the forest in Poland and finding the, the rope of a man who had committed suicide, and he has since been transformed into the Polish power himself. Um, he's had uh, how many victories in a row now? It he's, be, he's won nine of his last ten. Okay, I think, well, and it is uh, five in a row. Five in a row. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So nine of his last ten. Wow, that's even yeah more impressive. So he's defending his title against the number one contender Glover Teixeira, who. To his credit, is kind of in a similar, you could say similar things about him. Mm-hmm. Another guy on a career renaissance right now. He's done it in a more under the radar fashion to Jan Blahovich, considering Jan won a title and has been defending title against Adesanya and stuff like that. But Glover in is in 40 years old. 41. Yeah. 41 and is now back in a place where he has earned himself a title shot with wins over guys like Tiago Santos like Anthony Smith. And this is a guy who fought John Jones for the light heavyweight title at UFC 172. I believe that was back in uh, 2013. Yep. Um, so th- the fact that he once again, eight years later, finds himself back in the in the contender role, it's very impressive. And this this isn't even to go uh we haven't even considered the fact that this man's career was almost over before it even started. Yeah, you know, back when he was on his rise and he was looked at as like a a huge prospect, he had visa issues for four years that prevented him from fighting in the UFC, nearly derailed his entire career. So, considering all the progress he has made to get to this place, and you know, he's had his dips, and you know, we I remember one of the first the first time we ever watched the card together at beat ups, Dominic. He went up against a man named Anthony Rumble Johnson. Oh, shit. He knocked him out in about 10 seconds. Yeah. And it was something to watch. And honestly, you could have looked at Glover right there and been like, oh, this guy's career is about done. Yeah. And now look at him. Fighting for the title. He earned it. He had to go through stiff competition to get here. I love this fight. My question, though, Dominic, is this fight and, and the winner of this fight for the title of not just the light heavyweight champion, but also for the greatest career resurgence in MMA history. 
It's got to be, right? If it ain't, it's up there in the top three for sure. This is such a feel-good fight um, to me. You know, Jan, of course, started in the UFC 2-4, and four, was on the brink of getting cut. Since then, 9 of 10, 5 in a row. He's the UFC champion. He destroys Dominic Reyes to get the belt. He beats the then-undefeated Israel Adesanya. Um, so it's just crazy, Jan's story from Poland. He was the first male champion from Poland and the second all-time with a uh, Joanna champion. And now you got Glover Teixeira, who, when he came into the UFC, as Noah said, it took four years longer than it needed to to get him there. He was undefeated when he came in to the UFC. John Jones was his first professional loss, uh, and after that loss, he kind of did mingle back and forth with wins and losses. And now... He's 41 years old. He's also on a five-fight win streak, and this guy is a finisher to its core. Both of these guys really love finishing fights. Uh, and again, the one of the best feel-good stories, definitely the fight for the best career resurgence. It's a fight that is so enticing in terms of a stylistic bout as well. Two guys that have power, but they're well-rounded with their grappling as well. My One of my favorite stats when we discuss Jan Blachowicz, he has one more submission than KO, and he's known for the legendary Polish power. I just love bringing that up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think this is such an amazing fight. It checks all the boxes for me. I'm so glad that they get the main event slot to put on a showcase at Fight Island. Yeah, that, that is a great sentiment. And it is a bit of a feel-good fight, but... That's such a weird term to use in MMA, isn't it? A feel-good fight. At the end of the day, these two are going to go in there and look to one beat of them the shit out of each other. <laughs> you know, at the, it's and not just one of them lose. One of them's probably going to get finished here. I mean, yeah, I just, agree. The stats say that, and that's kind of going to be my my next question here, Dominic. Is I mean, this fight can't go all five rounds, right? I know Blahovich has shown an ability to go five rounds. His fight without Asanya showed a lot of interesting. And dare I say, impressive advancements in his game. Yeah. Not the most exciting fight in the world. Not necessarily a fight where Blahovich was, you know, not the most exciting fight. I think we can all admit. And rounds four and five, when Blahovich really had his most of his success, it was a lot of using that size advantage to his advantage, getting that fight to the ground and kind of holding top position, not necessarily utilizing a lot of ground and pound. But when you really look at the nuances of that fight, um, Blahovic, just the fact that that cardio was able to last for five rounds, that he he was really still, you know, setting up very nice takedowns in rounds four and five. He just seems to still be improving. And that's just so scary and so wild to me. I mean, he is he's 38 years old. Yeah. That's not, I mean, it's not young, but he's still kind of in a spot where like, it's not necessarily unheard of for a guy to get better at this age. Mm-hmm. It's just for him to considering that he improved so much seemingly out of nowhere, which it's not really out of nowhere. Nine of his last 10 wins or, or nine of his last 10 fights and being wins. It, it just feels that way. Um, Glover Teixeira, however, while I'm very impressed with the run he's on, maybe even more impressed because he's doing it while he still there are things about his game that are clearly um, – how's the – what's the best way to word this? He's clearly diminishing in certain aspects of his skill set. You know, he's right. he's clearly aging out of the game. But he has still got the high fight IQ. He's still got that finishing ability. And a lot of times what it comes down to is his durability. You yeah. look at the Tiago Santos fight and the Anthony Smith fight. These are the last two 
most recent examples. Oh, oh, especially with Anthony Smith. So much was made about the damage Anthony Smith took. Round one, Anthony Smith nearly finished that fight. Yes. And then Tiago Santos, similar thing. thing. He basically just had to outwill, outlast, and ultimately be able to take more punishment than his opponents. Can he do the same with Jan Blachowicz? Time will tell. But um, I, for one, think this is a great fight. I think I've gotten more excited for it as we've gotten closer. I don't know. Um, This is probably the last chance for Glover Teixeira, I would assume. Yeah. Um, So you know that's going to play a factor as well, a bit of a chip on the shoulder, a bit of a kick in the ass of like it's now or never. My head says Blahovich, but it's not going to be easy either way. No, not at all. This is going to be a a dogfight. No, I think it really is. Uh, And again, I foresee a finish. As you said, if this goes five rounds, I'd be very surprised. And again, Jan, as you said, has showed his ability to do it. But the way that these two clash, I just can't see that happening. There's going to be something, quote-unquote, spectacular that may just happen in this main event. Let's talk about the co-main event. There's a lot to, a lot to make of this one. So this is for the UFC's interim Bantamweight title as Peter Jan and Corey Sanhagen, number one versus number three, look to basically get an interim title uh, or become an interim champion. Now, this fight was originally the anticipated rematch between Peter Jan and now champion Aljamain Sterling mm-hmm. coming off of their very controversial fight at UFC 259 where Peter Jan lands an illegal knee. Aljamain Sterling unable to continue. Aljamain Sterling becomes the new champion. First time ever that's happened in UFC history. Wild times. Yeah, yes it was. Aljamain, after the fight, has to undergo uh, some sort of neck procedure. And, you know, I think it was pretty obvious it was a quick turnaround uh, to try and make this fight here in, in, uh, I guess, the end of October. Yeah. And that's ultimately what the case was. He had to drop out of the fight. Meanwhile, over the summer, that fight's already put into place. You have the next two guys that are kind of vying for a chance at a uh, title shot being Corey Sanhagen and a returning TJ Dillashaw. They go to war for five rounds. Mm -hmm. TJ Dillashaw ultimately gets the nod of the scorecards. Very close fight. Um, I feel like the majority opinion says Corey Sanhagen won, but there's a lot of people that say Dillashaw won. You could kind of give it either way. Uh, But Dillashaw wins. However, Dillashaw did mess up his knee pretty good in that fight, required knee surgery. So he's unable to step in in this fight. So basically, Dominic, we get the first ever UFC title fight where both men in the fight are coming off of losses. But yet, when you say that, that obviously sounds pretty bad. However, tell me, Dominic, why this fight is so exciting. And for some people, might be the best fight on the whole card. Yeah, this is definitely a lot of people's people's main event um this is a fantastic stylistic clash pewter Jan, basically a lot of people view him as the uncrowned champ i mean he lost the fight to aljamain uh, as noah said but it was due to an illegal knee the first time we had ever seen a title change hands due to an illegal blow but it's a fight that he was dominating quite convincingly aljamain even so much as said came out and said that so um you know pewter Jan again looked as the uh, uncrowned champion already Corey Sanhagen, a guy that we both believe to be a future champion, 
uh, as well as a lot of other people. He was a phenom in LFA. He's came over to the UFC and looked nothing short of incredible, even in well, outside of the Aljamain Sterling loss, that was quite convincing for Sterling. But he's looked unreal. His fight with TJ could have gone his way. A lot of people did score it for him. So he's coming off of a loss, but everything kind of works in his favor. He gets a title shot anyway, and it is a fantastic fight. Corey Sanhagen, a Swiss Army knife, Peter Jan, fantastic boxer, but his grappling is so slept on, and he shouldn't be. I mean, he is from Russia at the end of the day. So, you know, this is very intriguing, man. And again, the kind of second point to this question being, uh, how did you word it? Uh, does this feel like the actual championship fight? Is that kind of how you I said it? I haven't, haven't got there yet. Okay, then I'm going to hold off. Then I just had it in my brain. <laughs> but yes, this fight stylistically uh, is amazing. A, pe- a lot of people are looking forward to this. I, for one, am very much looking forward to it. I want to see if Sanhagen's kind of unique striking. I view him as almost like a dominant Cruz-esque, the way he moves about the octagon. He's very long, very rangy. Can he use that against such a crisp, technical boxer that is Peter Jan? If it goes to the ground, there's a lot of X's and O's there. I just don't know if we're going to see it down there, but I digress, Noah. This fight is incredible on paper. I definitely think we're going to see five rounds on the feet, and I do think it's going to go five rounds. I Not that both of these guys are very explosive and very technical to the point where they could get a finish. I mean, Corey Sanhagen flying knee KO of Frankie Edgar. I mean, yeah. that, that was incredible. And Peter Jan's had some really nice uh, knockout wins. Look at his uh, finish of Uriah Faber. Ooh. He basically finished that fight multiple times, you know, it was madness. So, but I do think this fight will remain on the feet for the entirety of the bout. While Peter Jan should have a pretty big advantage in the grappling, Corey Sanhagen pretty much primarily striking. Um, I don't think his, I don't think he, he, his, Grappling's not really his forte, though. It's not really what he looks for. He had a lot of nice trips and was very slick in that way against Aljamain Sterling, who was supposed to have the grappling advantage in that fight. But he usually just used it to stop Aljamain from trying to initiate takedowns, initiate clinch. And I could see similar things here. I don't really think – I don't think Jan is going to depend on his wrestling here. I really think you're going to see a bit of a chess match on the feet, but that's where this fight gets so interesting because you could argue Corey Sandhagen's a better striker than Peter Jan. Yeah. You know, he, Peter Jan's very slick, got very, very good at switching stances. That makes him so dangerous because he's good when he's uh, orthodox and when he's southpaw. Um, but Corey Sandhagen might be able to do everything. He might have a more diverse skill set on the yes, feet than Peter sure. Jan. So, that's where this fight gets so interesting because if it does stay there, all of a sudden, yes, Jan's the more complete fighter, but I don't know if he's going to have the advantage in where this fight ultimately takes place. Right. Um, and uh, now I will offer the question that uh, Dominic was trying to get out in front on, and that's does this fight to you feel, despite you know what I said at the beginning, despite the fact that the, the out, this is for an interim title, does this feel like, the fight to crown the true champion at 135 pounds. So for me, it's a yes and no. If Peter Jan wins, I feel he is the uh, champion just because he is the one that was the champion, lost the belt, but didn't lose the belt at the same time, kind of. For Corey, 
I view him as a true like interim champion, but not an undisputed. It is because he's coming off of the loss to TJ. He's lost so convincingly to Sterling, who technically is the undisputed champion at the end of the day. Uh, and I, you know, I feel like Corey would view himself kind of in that same boat. Maybe not, but uh, you know, that's just kind of how I view it. I know that that's kind of like a BS answer, but that's truthfully how I feel. If Pewter wins, I do think he's the undisputed best bantamweight in the world for Corey. A little bit more left to prove to say he is that guy. Yeah, I understand what you mean about uh, Sanhagen's loss to Sterling, but if Sanhagen beats Jan, who was going to beat Sterling, it's almost mm-hmm. like, can you really say anything? I personally, I don't view this as the fight to determine the true champion. While I've, I definitely have a hard time. <laughs> like Jan feels like the champion in my mind. Like. Sterling's holding he the kind of does already, yeah. but but up to this point, I've really felt not necessarily that Jan's the champion, but that he is the best bantamweight in the world. Put it that way. This fight, and what's so funny is this is for an interim title, and typically we're not very big proponents of interim titles, but I think this is an example of a fight where it fits. Yeah. Um, just a little side point. I just uh. I don't know. I, I don't really view this as like a fight for the true champion. I think in order to get the belt, you got to take the actual belt. Um, it is a fight, though, to where the winner of this, even if it is Corey Sanhagen, I'm probably going to view him as the number one bantamweight in the world, and that's despite that loss to Aljamain Sterling, which, yes, very one-sided, very quick. But, I mean, Corey Sanhagen, man, this guy still so young, mm-hmm. still – making such improvements in his game, but look at the strength of schedule. This guy's yeah, been it's insane. This guy has fought anybody and everybody in this top 10. Very impressive. And yes, he's had a couple losses. Dillashaw, San, uh, Sterling, I almost said St. Hagen. Um, but he's gotten wins over guys like Marlon Marais, over Frankie Edgar. Very impressive resume. So if he gets it done here, I'm really going to have a hard time not viewing him as the number one bantamweight in the world. If he beats yeah. Peter Jan, I think so highly of Peter Jan's skill set, especially after that Sterling fight, which I know ended rough. But again, he he was after basically round one. He that was all him. Yes, it was. And um, yeah, so hopefully the winner of this bout and Sterling are able to run it at some point. Um, I know there's some whispers out there that maybe. Aljamain Sterling is never going to be able to fight again. I don't want to think like that. This fight's that fight's got to be. It, it is. It does get very interesting if Corey Sanhagen wins this fight because everybody yeah. wants to see Jan and Sterling run it back, but we may right. never see it run back if this fight goes that way. You know. That's true. That's true. Let's move on to the feature bout. Mm. That's between two lightweight contenders, Islam Makhachev. And Dan Hooker, number five versus number six. Dan Hooker stepping in on short notice to replace the injured Rafael Dos Anjos. This coming on the heels of a this is what a one month turnaround. Yep. Less than that after this after Dan Hooker beat Nazarat Hawkprest at UFC 266. Um, he stayed in the states. He or well now he's in. Yeah, <laughs> um, stayed in Vegas but, in between. Yeah, yeah. stayed in <laughs> Vegas in between. Um. So, few factors in this fight. There's a lot of hype for Islam Makhachev, obviously. He mm-hmm. he is the next in that line of, of Dagestan 
killers. You know, he's the next in the lineage of Habib. He's Habib's protege, as everyone yep. continues to kind of label him as the next Habib, all that. Islam Makhachev has kind of gotten to this point, number five ranked, without really having to beat a ton of high-level competition. Yeah. I believe Tiago Moises is the best one he's had up to this point, correct? Yeah, in terms of a ranking, he did have a ranking at that's the time. What I'm, yeah, that's yep. what I'm – okay. So – yeah, he's number five here. Yeah, but he's still, you know, Drew Dober was another good one. I'll give him that as well. Drew Dober's yeah. been ranked before, so he's had two guys that are kind of bubble top, bubble fifteen to fourteen, right. thirteen rankings, um, but not really that statement win. That's like this guy is ready for a title fight, of course. While for Dan Hooker, yes, he he's had an interesting last year and a half, two years or so. Uh, had a if you go back to right before COVID. Um, he had that very controversial close decision with Paul Felder. Uh, he did come out with a win, but a lot of people didn't feel like he really did. Then he goes on to nearly beat what people are saying might be the number one lightweight in the world now, and Dustin Poirier in an absolute war yep. of a fight night main event, five-round war. Hooker, man, putting, putting a beating on Poirier at times and obviously the reverse as well. Then he welcomes Michael Chandler to the UFC at UFC 257, the first pay-per-view of 2021, and gets starts, to be Mm -hmm. quite honest. Uh, Kind of froze under the lights, and uh, Chandler just being able to land a perfect overhand right that stunned and dropped Hooker, and it was all done within a couple minutes. Then he ultimately comes back against Nazareth Hawkpress, who, good opponent, a guy who's a bit of a prospect, but a guy who hasn't really – he doesn't – he's not, you know – he's not a top 15 guy. He's, right. he's he's on his way there, but he's not right now. And But I thought what was so impressive about that win wasn't necessarily the level of opponent he was fighting, but the way he did it. He he did do a lot of grappling in that fight, yep. which is what Nazrat was supposed to have the advantage in. And uh, that just shows a lot of growth in Dan Hooker's game. However – I actually picked Nazareth to win that fight, and it is a similar sentiment to how I feel about this fight. Dan Hooker, due to everything going on in New Zealand and now obviously what's going on here where he kind of stayed in Vegas and now going to uh, Abu Dhabi, he just hasn't had much of a training camp for either of these two fights, but didn't miss a beat in the Nazareth fight. However, Dominic, are these elements going to really hold him back here against Islam Makachev? Obviously, Islam is a great is a great fighter, but yeah. you feel like that's going to hold back Dan Hooker at all here. You would think, yeah, but the way he's the way he looked, you know, and he got to stay in the UFC uh, in Vegas at the PI. They have a great facility there. Maybe he comes out and looks still pretty fresh. I mean, this has definitely been a hectic, I'm sure, very stressful time uh, in Dan Hooker's life. But as you said, when he fought Nazrat, to come out and still look good on the feet but look even better on the floor, which is something we've never seen from Hooker really, really said a lot about what he's doing with his game. And he's really dedicated to improving and continuing to, you know, stay in the elite talk of this lightweight division. So, you know, maybe he comes out and looks good. The problem is looking good may not be good enough to be Islam Makhachev. This is a very hard matchup for him. We said that when uh, it was booked where, you know, Dan Hooker, 
maybe not so much to lose taking this on short notice and going to Abu Dhabi fighting Islam, but still a little bit to lose at the same time. The closer I get, I feel that way. Uh, this is a very tough test for him. And with that grappling improving, <laughs> there's still a level to this. And Islam Makachev is the elite grappler in this lightweight division. Uh, I'll be curious to see Islam in the striking realm with Dan Hooker because when he was fighting Tiago, he was okay with being there in the feet. And I know Tiago's not the striker that Hooker is, but if he carries this confidence with him against Hooker, it could get him into some trouble on the feet because while he's good there, he needs to more than likely grapple to get the easiest path to victory, I should say. And for Hooker, if he can keep it on the feet, I'm going to be very, very intrigued to see how his long rangey striking may just be able to pull off a big upset here, Noah. And I I think that it should be noted that Islam Makhachev has been knocked out in the UFC. Yes, he has. Very early on in his career. And I, I think based on how I'm kind of talking, I feel like people are going to think that I'm like not very high on Islam. I am. I, I do think that this guy is a future title challenger, future. Really, if you want to say future champion, sure. Yeah. I, I really believe in his talent. I just don't think that we have. he has proven yet that he is a top five fighter. This is the fight for him to do it. Yep, for sure. I mean, this fight is really, in my opinion, this is all about Islam Makhachev proving that he's a real contender. Dan Hooker, to his credit, takes this fight um, on short notice, doesn't really have much of a training camp. It's going to be a compromised training camp at best. Yeah. But this is a guy that's done it time and time time before so uh, you know how much does he really need ultimately dominic i don't really see where dan hooker has anything to lose here i know yeah he's had some iffy caught you know the last year or so was a little iffy for him but i think he got back on track this was a bit of a favor to the ufc and but he's not treating it like that this man does seem very confident he does dan hooker. he seems to have a bit of he seems a bit looser than he was a year ago you know he yeah. just seems to be enjoying the moment and that could be very dangerous for a guy that feels like he, you know, he doesn't feel like he has anything to lose. It's a dangerous man. Could be dangerous. And Islam, he has a lot on his shoulders. He is mm-hmm. looked at as the the next wave, the the next Habib, a Habib, a man that some are saying is one of the best fighters of all time. It's just, it's a the odds are what they are. They're very much in Islam's favor. And I would say Islam should be favored in this fight, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's a cakewalk. He might go in no. there and make it a cakewalk, but the mental game leading up, it's it's, and I'm not even talking about like uh, mental warfare between Hooker and Makachev. Just the factors outside, all the expectations, lots of pressure. There's a lot on Islam's shoulders here, so I'll be interested to see how he performs. To say, but a win over Dan Hooker, no matter what kind of compromised camp or anything. A win here, and this man is knocking on the door of a title shot. That being Islam Makachev. If Dan Hooker wins, I would say that man probably earned it as well. Yeah, I know you, you probably don't give it to him over the winner of Gaethje or Chandler, but um, especially if Chandler wins. But I don't know, man. I I think Hooker could really. I think this could be a title eliminator, depending on how everything plays out. It just just might. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. Let's get into the rest. That's right. There's a little more. (laughs) Starting with top ten heavyweights, number Uh five, 
Alexander Volkov. They call him Drago. <laughs> He's do. going up against the surging Marcin Tibura. Yeah. We've really enjoyed seeing Tibura kind of come from nowhere, really. You know, this was a guy that I remember when we were watching a few years ago. We kind of wrote him off. He he got knocked out a few times. He had some lackluster performances. You know, he just didn't look like really, you know, maybe <laughs> a, a fair comparison. And I don't mean to kind of pile on the guy, but um, he, he I, a lot of how I feel about Augusto Sakai now mm-hmm. is how I felt about Tibera at one point. Like, Tibera was ranked, but I really just didn't see the upside. Yeah. But now I'm seeing it more and more. Yes, he's running into some uh, adversity in some of these fights. You know, the Greg Hardy fight, Greg had a really nice showing early on in the striking, and then Tibera just kind of outlasted him, outpaced him, and was able to get that win in round two. But anyways, Dominic, the, my question here for this fight, Tibera, nice win streak leading up here. Volkov coming off of a loss to Surreal gone in a very underrated fight, I would say. I agree. Um, has anything from Tibera's win streak ultimately prepared him for the striking of Alexander Volkov? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, And again, when you have a guy as big as Volkov, he's always going to be such a hard matchup for anyone, regardless of his skill set, right? Because he's so long, he's so rangy. So if you're a guy that likes to grapple, you got to try and close the distance, which I could see Tibera trying to do in this one. It may be, honestly, his best path to victory because, again, Tibera going to be the shorter guy, the more stout guy, and Volkov really can use that range. He doesn't use it as good as we would like to. We've discussed that on the show, but nevertheless, it's still there and it's going to be prominent in this one when you see them, you know, face to face with each other in the octagon, you know. So for Tibera with I mean, this is a guy that was four and five in the UFC. Now he's rallied off five in a row, few of those via finish. He's looked good as of late. He's faced adversity and overcame it. So in this one, I'd I do think he has showed enough to where I could see him winning this fight for sure. In terms of what can he do, again, he may just have to grapple. I don't know if he's going to want to stand with Volkov for three rounds. I just don't see that going in his favor whatsoever. But if he can land, you know, a big shot, he kind of has some underrated power being that he's that shorter guy. But if he can close in, maybe clinch him up, do some damage there. I'm definitely curious to see how this plays out, man. And it's a big one for Volkov to see if he can bounce back. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, big for both guys. And I do think that... While Tibera's win streak has been impressive and he he has had to, you know, really battle through some adversity and really, mm-hmm. you know, dig deep to get some of these wins. I don't know if any of these wins have really prepared him for this fight. I yeah. mean, he's fought a lot of power punchers. He's never had the best chin in the heavyweight division. Um, fighting guys like Greg Hardy and Walt Harris, I don't think that really prepares you for Volkov. And I mean, how could it? Outside of fighting someone like Surreal Gun, I don't know how you get prepared for Volkov. Of course. Again, the size discrepancy is going to be interesting. And maybe you're right. Volkov has had a large, I don't know why I hung on the L right there, <laughs> a, a lot very, of the emphasis a very large susceptibility to the takedown, to the grappling. It's just if Tibera is able to have that much success with the grappling here to where he can basically go to it time and time again and essentially grind his way to a win to me that would show a lot of improvements in his grappling while it's been good i would be very impressed if he can take down and hold down someone at the stature of 
Alexander Volkov. It's going to be hard to get inside without having to eat a few jabs along the way. Oh, yeah. Um, and for Volkov, we're still trying to figure out, you know, we're still trying to see this guy really put it together for a run. I agree. Uh, it seems like just as soon as he gets kind of back on track, like his win over Overeem where he looked incredible. So good, yeah. Then he gets put up with Surreal Gone, and again, that's not an easy fight, obviously. Surreal Gone is essentially, potentially, the best heavyweight in the world. And him and Volkov, you know, he he basically lost every round to Gone, but I, 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 I thought he at least showed that he could hang in there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that fight goes a little different if they fought again. I don't know, but Volkov just, it seems, you know, he has these performances against like Curtis Blades where he just gets outworked for five rounds, gets put on his ass every round and can't really find a way to get out. You know, it's just, he ha- he seems to have those kind of performances where it's like he almost is a bit in autopilot, but then he comes out and has great finishes sometimes. Was it, didn't he have a win over Walt Harris back at uh, UFC 254? Yeah, with a body with a kick. Body kick, yeah. So you look at back-to-back performances, that and Overeem. I mean, that was a great showing. So yeah. a lot of it just seems matchup dependent for him, and maybe that's how it is for all fighters. But I just it feels more so with him. You get a large, there's a large variable in his performances based on the matchup. Yeah, here it feels a little favorable if I'm going to say so on paper. But I like Tibera. I like what he's been showing me, and I kind of hope to see some more improvements here. Yeah. Next one. Uh-oh. This is per- my personal, like, second most anticipated fight on the card. Jan, yeah. St- uh, Jan um, Sanhagen is number one for me. This fight's number two. Mm. And this is Lee Jingliang and Hamzat Chimaev. Hamzat, the 2020 Ooh. newcomer of the year for the Joeys. And essentially, yep. every- <laughs> it's so crazy. This man a year ago. Had won three fights in like a month and a half or two months, and he was booked to end the year against Leon Edwards, number three in the world. Crazy. (laughs) Obviously, that fight fell through two or three times. Three times, actually. What ends up happening? Hamzat has multiple terrible bouts with COVID, posting stuff on his Instagram story, hitting at retirement when he's coughing up blood in the sink. It's nasty stuff. COVID sucks. Yeah. However, he's back now. Oh, yeah. And he's going up against the leech, who is a dangerous opponent. However, based on what we saw from Hamza at the end of last year, I think this is an appropriate step forward. The guy has the hype behind him. He has the, the skill that, it looks to compete with the best of the best in this division. Gerald Mearchart's a better win than people are going to give it credit for. And the way he did it, the one punch knockout makes yeah. it even more impressive. So this is an appropriate step up, but obviously the leech isn't a pushover. And I don't want to mix these, even though this question hints at a certain direction, it's not really what I'm going to go, but I want to ask you, do you feel like not enough thought, from the MMA community, you know, Hamzat's largely favored in this fight. And while we both highly respect, highly value the Leech's skill set, we think it's not that easy of a fight. No. But even beyond that, even if this was, you know, some cakewalk opponent for Hamzat Chimaev, is there not enough thought being given to maybe how affected Hamzat still is after his multiple bouts of COVID? 
it doesn't feel like we're seeing it talked about very much in the community, really. I mean, maybe you see it here or there, but this is going to be a prominent aspect of this fight and how this may go, because if he comes out, the leech is not just going to lay down for Hamza Chmaev. Oh, he's a fast starter, too. Li-Jing Liang is going to bring the pressure. We've not seen anybody bring pressure <laughs> to Chmaev. Li-Jing Liang is going to bring it. Just ask Ponzinibbio with a one-punch KO in his last outing. So, uh, you know, again, this is already not an easy fight. And when you factor in, he had very bad outlying issues with COVID during it. And then after the illness, had a lot of uh, underlying issues as well. So he's had a long, you know, layoff. And you would like to think he is 100% recovered. But we're not going to truly find out until we see him in there. Look at Cody Garbrandt, example number one. He looked very different than the usual Cody Garbrandt. He had a very bad stint with COVID and his cardio didn't look like the Cody of old. So that's just one yeah. example there of a prominent name that is. So for Hamza, there's everyone is focused on him, right? All the eyes, all the pressure is on Chimaev here, you know, because he took the MMA world by storm. And as Noah said, this is kind of the rightful step. If you take away how he just stormed onto the scene last year, this is technically the fight he should have been given in that fourth one, not launched in with Leon Edwards. And obviously that fight didn't happen, but here we are now. This is a fight that makes sense. It's a very, very intriguing fight stylistically. And again, you're getting someone that's not just going to lay down for Hamza Chimaev. He's going to give it his all, Li Jing Liang, that is. He's going to pressure forward. And man, if he can pull off the upset here, put some respect on Li Jing Liang. I can't wait for this fight. And not to mention how hard it is to finish Li Jing Liang. He's yeah. a very yeah. durable opponent, and he finishes at a very high clip, but also has gone the distance multiple times. He does yep. have the cardio to do it. So if Hamzat isn't able to get that one-punch KO early, you know we may have to see his cardio be tested for all three yep. rounds. While I have no doubt that the Hamzat of last year could go, the, could go at a pace that he would put on for 15 minutes. I mean, the guy was just uber impressive and i want to believe that he can still do that it's just a factor that should be weighed in a little bit yes you know i'm not at the end of the day maybe for the odds that really shouldn't be factored in but even if you don't factor it in hamzad is a bit high highly favored here i mean jing liang is i just think that people don't understand how good he really can be he's had some he's had some moments where he's looked less than stellar but he seems to really be putting it all together at the right time. And mm-hmm. it's going to be a clash. And we're really going to find out a lot about what we have at Hamzat Chemaev here. Yeah, for sure. Following that, light heavyweight action. Two top ten fighters at number seven, Magomed Ankalaev. And the returning, number eight, Vulcan Uzdemir, coming Good off time. of the a year and a quarter or so layoff. He last fought at UFC 251, uh, welcoming Yuri Prohaska to the UFC. So I haven't seen Vulcan in a long time, and he doesn't get an easy fight in his return. No, he goes he and fighting Yuri Prohaska, who is just uh, – talk about a talk about a workhorse that guy yeah. is. And now you get put against Magomed Ankalaev, who is a stylistically – opposite fighter to Yuri. Oh, yeah. But if anything, is even more difficult of a fight for someone who does depend on their power as much as Vulcan does. Uh, Magomed Ankalaev, the probably most technically skilled 
fighter in this entire light heavyweight division. He has the potential to be a title challenger, a champion. I have a lot of faith that he will be a champion at some point. He seems to just have the skill everywhere. And while Vulcan is a great fighter and, you know, a guy that I I think has kind of become underrated over the last couple of years, I, I don't really see how he wins this fight. I'm struggling to do it. Dominic, can you tell me how Vulcan Uzdemir pulls out a win here? Yeah. So funny enough, and again, this is a tough fight for Vulcan, but I'm leaning for him in this one. I don't know why. Well, actually, I do know why, and I'm going to tell you why right now. I don't know why I started saying that. Vulcan is a guy that is a fast starter, at least historically, can be a fast starter. I mean, he's no time for a reason. His first, he had two under a minute finishes in route to his title shot against Daniel DC Cormier. That's when everything kind of started switching around for his career in the UFC. But if he can come out and make this a barn burner, like we've seen Ankalaev be tempted to do with Jan Kudalaba, example number one, Vulcan may just have the power to end this fight early. But if he doesn't put him away early, that's where Magomed really will begin to shine in this one, I believe. He hasn't lost since his UFC debut. He's won six in a row. So, again, a very tough fight for Uzdemir. But if he can come out like that Vulcan of old and really pressure forward, make Magomed uncomfortable early, we've seen him be tempted in barn burners before. If he wants to do that here with Vulcan, he may want to second guess it because the power here that Uzdemir carries is very, very dangerous. Yeah, that's very true. And I, I thought Ankalaev showed a lot of growth in the fact that he didn't get lured into that yep. in the in rematch the with um, Jan Kudalava. But Kudalava and Uzdemir are just very different levels of power and ultimately yes. just fighters in general. However, I do think there's something to be said about Ankalaev's chin hasn't been tested really. And he kind of, he's a, he's, he's not huge for this division. Like he's a big guy, but he's not like a have a heavyweight, you know, that's fighting that light heavyweight. Like he feels like a pretty firm light heavyweight. Mm-hmm. Well, Volkan Uzdemir is a big guy. Big guy, yeah. And obviously big power. So I will be kind of interested to see if Uzdemir does kind of start fast. Maybe what he can, if he can land flush, will Magomed be affected by that or will he be able to kind of just weather it, you know, wear it? I, I, I do think there's something to be said about that. I just wonder, due to the layoff, due to the fashion of his previous mm-hmm. loss and how he is kind of, you know, Uzdemir is in a bit of a tough spot here coming in. Will there be some reservations? You know, will he, you know, you saw in his title fight with Daniel Cormier, he really didn't come out and fight the way he had fought to earn that title fight. I know he's going up against Daniel Cormier, one of the best of all time. And, you know, his odds of winning that fight weren't great in general, but he didn't, he just didn't even really do what got him to the dance. Mm-hmm. And I and I worry you might see a little bit of that here, some reservations, some fighting because he doesn't fighting to not lose, but not fighting to win. Yeah, and against a guy like Magomed, you can't do that. So. Yeah. Last one here, your <sighs> prelim headliner. She's back, number ten, Amanda Hivas, going up against number twelve, Virna Janda Doba. Are you all right? I heard a big old. A big old bang over there. So for those that don't know, before we started recording, I stubbed my toe really bad and I yelled. 
I just did it again and I had to like bite down not to scream again, (laughs) but uh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Okay. So obviously Dominic, I know you're very excited as is a lot of MMA fans for the return of Amanda Hebus. And this is an interesting fight for her to come back to because we know Amanda Hebus in her last outing back in January against Marina Rodriguez. She ultimately basically finished twice on the feet. Didn't have the best display of uh, striking defense, head movement, things like that. Going up against world-class striker and yes. Marina Rodriguez, you know, obviously. But then here, and I'm, I mean, I should also point out that Amanda Hivas is obviously known for her jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Well, in this matchup, I feel like Vierna Janadova holds up very well with her in the jiu-jitsu. But I think Amanda Hivas has a big advantage in the striking here, which is kind of interesting because I always thought when she came back from that devastating loss she took in January, I thought she would really try to get back to the basics of where she really was strongest in. However, here, Virna got outstruck by Mackenzie Dern. Yeah. Mackenzie Dern got outclassed by Amanda Hevis. Obviously, that's MMA math. doesn't always work that way. But I think it's clear that Amanda Hevis has a large advantage in striking here. And I look for her to really keep this on the feet. It's not clear if Vierna has an advantage in the grappling and the jiu-jitsu, but if I'm Amanda, I don't even know if you risk it. Just really look to keep it standing. Um, obviously, Vierna does a pretty good job of closing distance, of mm-hmm. clinching up. That was where she had her most success against Mackenzie Dern. Um, and Amanda Hivas isn't – she she might be a little easier to uh, overpower than Mackenzie Dern was. So that could be an interesting battle there as well if it does get clinch heavy. But ultimately, Dominic, this is the fight that I know you wanted, one of the fights you I know you're most excited for because you're a big fan of Amanda Hebas. What should we expect from this one? Yeah, this is a really good fight. I really do believe so. Vienna <laughs> Jandadoba is very undervalued, underrated in this uh, division, the Stroy division, man. It's just, it just shows how deep it is with so these good. two ranked 10 and 12. It's crazy. For Hebus hasn't fought since January, has to bat has had to battle COVID since then. So another one that maybe yeah. you know it's another, it's another battle, you know. Yeah. So hopefully hundred percent recovery for her. And again, like you said, she's known for her jujitsu, but she is, in a sense, a more well-rounded version of Mackenzie Dern in terms of overall skill set. Her jiu-jitsu not on the level of Mackenzie Dern. Is that kind of a does that make sense in a way? Like mm-hmm. in terms of an all-around mixed you martial arts. You said Amanda is right. Yeah. Her jiu-jitsu not as strong as Dern, yeah. but as an all-around fighter. Agreed. So, uh, again, on the feet, this could be fun. I've seen more from Amanda on the feet to make me feel more comfortable. On the ground, if we see some grappling transitions, it could be very fun. Verna has 13 submission victories in her career out of 17. So, uh, it, what was crazy, though, she didn't really even attempt to grapple with McKenzie. Again, the level's there, and take with it what you will. But this is a very good fight. Can Amanda bounce back she's still four and one in the ufc she's still very young Verna jandaroba three and two in the ufc but someone again who i said is undervalued underappreciated a big fight for someone to make a statement to launch in to that top 10 and there's just so many fun intangibles here i can't wait to see how they play out now are you aware of the of the ongoing um, wager that was put in place on the mma hour with uh, ariel hawani I am not. Please enlighten me. So, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show about Island Boy, the song that's right. trending on the charts right now. Right. Well, Ariel Hawani is a big fan of the song. He, he is. He, he has been singing it a lot on his show. And he put out 
basically a, a statement to any fighter fighting this Saturday. He said, if you come out to the song Island Boy mm. or any sort of remixed version, whatever, then he will put him that, that fighter's picture up on his wall that he has behind Ooh. him. Okay. Which has some of the best fighters of all time, you know, Daniel Cormier is behind there, people like that. And um, there was a few fighters where it looked like they might do it, but ultimately it looks like the one that may do it is Verna Jandarova. Really? Um, her uh, someone, whether I don't know if it was her coach or whoever, sent aerial clip of her dancing to the song in the hotel room. Uh oh. And uh, so. That that's a factor here, Dominic. Because oh, if Birna if Birna comes out to Island Boy and loses, <laughs> that is that is not as bad as if like Izzy would lose after like remember when he did the dance when he came <laughs> yeah. out. To, yeah. What was that fight for? That was the Robert Whitaker fight. That right? was the Whitaker fight. Yeah. If he had lost that fight, like oh my god, could you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. But for Birna, like if she loses this, it's a tough it's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, okay, everybody, keep an eye on this. Man, what if like, what if like five different fighters come out to Island Boy? That would be crazy. <laughs> that, well, that's what's funny is like uh, Petrosky was the first one. Um, yeah, yeah, the tough guy. And from this because uh, Sean Brady's with him. And, yeah, uh, I saw that tweet from Sean. Yeah, yep. so Sean Brady's been trying to push Petrosky to to do it, and then Petrosky told Ariel to paint me like one of your French girls, and Ariel got really freaked out by it. So uh, I believe Ariel has DM Dan Hooker about it. Yeah. Uh, but apparently Birna is the one that is uh, at least the closest to proving that she's got what it takes right now. So just a simple question to cap off the rest. Yes yeah. or no, will at least one fighter come out to that song? Off the top of your head. <sighs> Okay, I'm gonna say no. And you want to know why? No you want to know why? Like, I believe that they're gonna try, but I think Dana's gonna catch wind <laughs> that Ariel had set this up. Oh, and I no. think he hates Ariel so much that he will literally not let a fighter come out to that song just to spite him. I mean, this is I the mean, man that I, I I usually thought he was above that. You know, by this point, you know, it's been a long time since those two have interacted, but the man had a whole ass restraining order put on Ariel Hawani during this time at ESPN. Yeah. So uh, I don't think the bad blood's ending anytime soon. Now we shall see. I, we didn't mention during the, uh, the Islam Makachev, Dan Hooker fight that we do have a distinguished guest. Special guest. Yes. Yes. Uh, Would you like to reveal who that might be? Ladies and gentlemen, the king of MMA Twitter, MMA community, Worldwide global phenomenon Haas Bola will be in attendance at UFC 267. Will be in support of Islam Makachev. He has sent out a threatening message to Dan Hooker, letting him know that he will be in the area. And as of this morning, we're recording this on Thursday morning. Dana White will be meeting with Haas Bola in Abu Dhabi once he real? arrives. Is that real? You think? Well, Dana White remember, posted it. Do you remember? I saw the like <laughs> the clip, but you remember when he he just got interviewed like last month by Robbie? From, yeah, with uh, Robbie. Robbie Fox. Yeah. And Robbie asked him about like meeting with Hasbul. He goes, "Yeah, we have a meeting." And he goes, "Get out." And he goes, "No, I'm just fucking with you." And then well, started dying laughing. He had a meeting or um, an interview with uh, Pat McAfee earlier this week, 
and he was talking about Hasbulla again. He's like, yeah, this guy's the UFC head of Russia apparently now. So, hey, if they at least get a picture together, woo, that's going to be the <laughs> MMA picture of the year for 2021 right there. Well said, well said. I had to put it in there because I kind of clowned you before the show. I said you would mention it over under 1.5 times. You didn't mention it at all, so I lost that bet. So I, I had to at least bring it up once. To Pay up, baby. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, but that's going to wrap it up for this spooky edition of the MMA Weekend Preview. Um, make sure to join us on Sun Monday. <laughs> we record Sunday, though. We but... record on Sunday. But make sure to join us on Monday. November 1st. Yep, we'll be talking all about uh, UFC 267, the fallout, what's next. And it'll be the first of our regional showcase segment. We are watching UAE Warriors. You're right. UAE Warriors 24 airing on Friday. They are doing two cards, one on Thursday, one on Friday. Um, This is the launch of a new deal with Fight Pass and the UFC to air their cards on there for two years. I'm very happy about that. And ultimately, we went with the, the Friday card. It's a little better. Two title fights. Yeah. Um, the, the the Thursday card is like um, strictly for, um, I believe it's Arabian fighters. So okay. um, that card's like strictly for that. No title fights or anything. More of a showcase for homegrown talent. Um, but the Friday card, you know, more diverse set of guys and more what we're looking for, I think, in, um, you know, this segment. So yeah. we'll be recapping that card as well. On Sunday, so make sure to watch that event on UFC Fight Pass if you want to be in the know. Mm-hmm. But uh, until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Can find me on Twitter, on Instagram at Deesley14. More importantly, go follow, go engage, go interact with the show on Twitter, on Instagram at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. Well said. And for me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram at NTBaker underscore. If you go to my bio, there is a link mm-hmm. that will take you to a link tree. Okay. Which provides you a list of links oh. to all the platforms the podcast is on, along with those social media platforms. So that includes. But it's not limited to. <sighs> I mean, well, kind of is. We won't get into it. The Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcast. It's all on there. And there's a couple links for today's sponsor, Anchor. Shout out to Anchor, baby. Shout out to Anchor. The first one leaving a voice message. Come on, please. It's been a little bit. It's been a while. Uh, Also, if you'd like to leave... um... (laughs) Sorry, I got a little off track. Uh, leaving a voice message would be nice, but also if you'd like to become a supporter of the podcast, oh, uh, you could do that with one of those links. Uh, it's just a few dollars a month. All that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast. Um, I also wanted to give another shout out. And now I can't remember what I was going to say before we uh, oh. hold off. So, uh, yeah, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> Maybe we'll, Monday uh, we'll remember. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you all on Monday. See you guys.